Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do, a often weekly podcast where me and my good friend Gaz, hello Gaz. Hello Baz. Hello there mate. And we talk about the topic of the day with all things gaming related and today I'm really pleased to announce we've got a special guest with us. We have Mr Paul Michener, Dr Paul Michener, my apologies, I downgraded you then for a second. Hi, Paul. Uh, hi Baz. Really good to have Dr. Mitch on board, as he will often be known by his forum handles. And Dr. Mitch is joining us today because the question is too difficult for just two members of the smart party alone. (laughs) The topic for discussion is, what would you do if confronted with historical gaming? Which I know that Dr. Mitch is a big fan of and a a content producer of. Uh, My knowledge of it is, well, as will no doubt become apparent over the next hour, perhaps a bit sketchy. And Gaz, I'll let you explain your own background with historical gaming and your love or dislove for it as we go on. So, Gaz, historical gaming, off you go, my friend. I think there's some there's some gold them in them their hills with historical gaming. I'm pretty sure there is. I think most of my sort of gaming though comes with some fantastical uh, element to it or some science fictiony slant on it. A lot of things like a lot of talking stuff was obviously dug up from old Norse myths and some Christianity and all kinds of things. So I think. History in general's got a ton of stuff that's in gaming, but doing pure historical gaming doesn't happen that often. The best quote I've heard about it, I think, was um, someone, I think it was Indy Rich from the Pompeii group when they were still going, uh, was running some Montego 1244. And when he started out with that, he'd always ask the group at at the convention and wherever it was, saying, Do you know anything about this period in history? And if anybody said yes, he'd say, Good, keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) <laughs> which always made me laugh but his point being that sometimes with historical games as with other things you can get history nerds who want to kind of show off about what they know about that particular area of history or make sure they get everything perfectly correct rather than the good fun stuff that's in historical gaming and the grist for the mill for gaming I think from that point of view so I've had some good times with some historical gaming I think there's challenges on people who naturally gravitated towards it perhaps uh, and I'm always tempted to add extra stuff in. So I like Godlike, for example, which is World War Two, but it's got superheroes in it and that sort of thing. Um, I'd struggle, I think, to play a pure World War Two game on its own, but I'm not sure. So I'm kind of on the fence about it. I think there's good elements and bad elements and prefer a mashup than anything. How about you, Dr. Mitch? Where do you sit with historical gaming? Is it a favourite or just another string to your bow? It's definitely, it's definitely a favourite. I mean, I love the flavour of it. I love being able to just bring these details out. And also, in some cases, it's quite... Yeah, it's just plain cool to have something that's an actual period of history involved. I mean, the other thing I'll say, I also like the touch of the fantastic. I see it as history adding to the fantastic, rather than the fantastic as a spike in history. So, for example, I'm fairly neutral about superheroes, but your example, godlike gritty superheroes in the Second World War. That's the bit that makes it the Second World War setting. Or again, the Kerberos Club, putting it in this type of Victorian setting. That brings it out. I mean, in terms of pure historical gaming, yeah, I can see the problem. I mean, I can bring another example here, which would be, well, Duty and Honour and Beat to Quarters. They're pretty pure historical games. Yeah, I think they are, but um, even so, they tend to be more... Um, sharp and home blower, I would say. So more like oh, yeah, the, sure. you know, the, the sort of novelization of those up that period rather than quite a dry version, if you know what I mean. Although you know, there's pl- there's plenty about the the Peninsula campaign and all the rest of it. You read the the, the history. There's lots of cool stuff that happened and 
exciting actions that people led and all that kind of stuff. But I think, um, do you think it's perhaps quite hard for people to get into it? I mean, if you if you're a Napoleonic fan, for example, getting into Duty and Honor or that sort of stuff would be fairly easy. But if you're just signing up to the game as someone who doesn't know much about the setting, apart from perhaps having watched Master and Commander or something, how easy is it to get involved and how intimidating do you think it is if there's other people around the table who have encyclopedic knowledge of that and you're, you're just really a noob to it all? Well, you've, you've got to avoid letting you know, the person with encyclopedic knowledge take over, but also they're someone you can use as a resource rather than anything else. So again, to take, a, take another example... Again, I'm going to go to the World War II games situation. There will always at the table be someone who's got encyclopedic knowledge of the weaponry of the time. And I think, I mean, what I try to do there is keep the weapons vague, just say it's a pistol. If they want to know, you can ask them, what, you know, what sort of gun do you think you would have? I mean, your earlier point is a really good one. It's not so much based on the history. It's more based on the historical fiction says yeah, in that period sure. yeah that's that's definitely true and again the more fantastic it gets the further away you get okay, of course yeah you don't want to be absolutely exact for details you just want a couple of interesting details to bring out in any particular thing and also avoiding anything ridiculous yeah i mean if it's a victorian setting yeah you don't want nuclear missiles yeah quite yeah, no, I think you're right. The, the flavour and the trappings of that sort of thing is a good. And any details people that c- can bring in to make it seem uh, more real or increase the very similitude or to give you the flavour of that setting is great. It's when it gets over into a little bit too much detail or arguing about who was the king of Poland in this particular era or year that it gets a bit too much. Um, so, so how about you, Baz? You've, you don't, you've not done a massive amount of historical gaming. Are there any periods of history or any bits... Uh, either from the UK or, or anywhere in the world really where you think you quite like to game but there isn't a game for it well no and, <laughs> and, and I, I realise that I may have to cash in my, my gamer community card at this point but there, there's there's clearly clearly a huge overlapping Venn diagram between history buffs and role players and you know it, it, the chances are if you sat down at a con game with six gamers at least five of them would be well into history and if you said you were going to play in a particular period or introduced a character from history i'm sure the vast majority of the table would be delighted whereas i would my eyes would roll a little bit and it's my fault i totally get it but i just find real life not as interesting as made up life and that's kind <laughs> of one of the reasons why I like role-playing games, and but this goes all the way back to school. I didn't have a fantastic history teacher, or I was very uninterested in the bits of history that, that he was teaching. And, and maybe I would have thought different if I knew a bit more about Sparta or World War One, or, you know, the juicy, violent conflict bits, which tend to be the ones that get into historical gaming, as far as I can tell. So it might just be that when everybody else was getting interested in, I don't know, the Iron Age or or the Dark Ages, or even the medieval stuff, um, I was busy reading, you know, source books on Greyhawk, which had flying horses and fireballs, and, and for me, I sort of took refuge in those things, and the more made up, the better. I'm not even, and this is a terrible thing to admit with Dr. Mitch on the podcast, but even Arthurian legend isn't fantastical enough for me. <laughs> so it is back. personal preference, a definitely personal preference. Um, and and funnily enough, you know, I do like 
some historical dramas if we were talking about films you, i can't watch enough westerns and everybody likes a vietnam film and uh, you know i don't know plenty of world war Two stuff as well but when it comes to gaming i, I just I, I fancy some action adventure which is which leaves the realms of reality way behind and it, i think it's my loss which is why i'm so interested in listening in on this conversation and just chipping in with some devil's advocate stuff as we go i suppose where have i been going wrong what should i be well, looking well, at well, Baz, weren't you putting together a world war Two game i was uh, and have and in fact you know one of the the really interesting things about doing that was that clearly history is the setting supplement for that game so you know wikipedia is just a giant gurp supplement really isn't it if you want to look at it that way um, although gurp supplements are often more accurate <laughs> so, um, and, and i did it because i love the the other forms of fiction that, that touch on world war Two, specifically stuff like kelly's heroes and the dirty dozen and that kind of stuff and you know watching war films with my dad in the 70s was a big part of my of my being um and that stuff was fantastical as well wasn't it because you you had people sort of flying backwards when they were shot or you know no blood being shown when they were shot so it was as close to fantasy as you could get but one of the reasons that game has never been finished off is I didn't want to have to put a huge amount of effort into putting historical weight onto it and making it accurate or making it even verisimilitudinous. That's a long word for today because I, I get the feeling if you get history wrong in a game, that that's worse than getting one of the say the houses in Eberron wrong. You know, the historical buffs will be all over you. The historical police will come knocking, and uh, and your game will be laughed out of town if it isn't legit. And I worried about it, and it stopped me finishing it off. Yeah, I can see that, Baz. Um, yeah, I wonder what sort of elements you have to capture then. So you've done some writing uh, of uh, various historical settings or, or mythical settings, at least, Dr. Mitch. So where do you start? Where do you draw the line on uh, where's enough detail and where's too much? And do you, do you actually worry about getting details wrong or anything like that? Or do you paint in broad enough strokes that it won't really matter? What's your approach? Okay, so, I mean, I suppose the thing that I've done most of is various Dark Ages stuff, you know, Age of Arthur and so on. And there, there's sufficiently little in the historical record that it's very easy to make stuff up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but and also you want to blend the myth in rather than have a straight historical game there, I think, where I did. But one thing I did want to get right is some idea of what the cultures might have been like, you know, what were the Saxons like, and just get some sort of big points out there and again there's always there varying reports so you can just pick out what's coolest for the game and for the sort of gazetteer what I was doing was looking at various local histories of places that would have been around in that time and picking up bits may, may not have been exactly right for that time but plus or minus 100 years and I'm not going to get any more sales after this and then <laughs> just picking out what seemed like the coolest and most capable thing. So it was, you know, writing a fantasy setting with lots of detail there. I mean, there's other things where you can do that. I mean, so another thing I'm playing with at the moment is, well, I've run a whole lot of sort of Knights Black Agents set in the 1960s. And again, that's not just to get the 1960s detail exactly right in the current politics and so on. But you can easily play with big things. Yeah, you can play with the Cold War. And that's just got to be right in broad strokes. 
I mean, one thing that was coming up earlier, actually, it's something my girlfriend told me to put on. Sometimes that when you know too much about a period, it can be hard to gain in that time. So, her example is, you know, she studied lots of Reformation history, and playing a game in Reformation history, she just felt like she had to uh, stay quiet a lot because it sort of broke disbelief. <laughs> yeah, so she struggled to engage with the game to a degree because things weren't necessarily as they should be or as they were. Yeah, absolutely. And she didn't want to trample on other people, I imagine, as well, by telling them wrong the whole time. <laughs> Every time they yeah, said something. Yeah, so you just stay quiet then, of course. What else can you do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I like um, using history periods as a kind of uh, window dressing setting. So something I run. Yeah, absolutely a year ago was uh, a World of Darkness game and I always fancied with that the idea that you play the mortals because the, the new iteration of World of Darkness starts off with uh, the book you're just mortals, you're ordinary people and then if you get a vampire or werewolf or whatever you bolt extra stuff onto your character to make them that supernatural creature but I like the idea of um, you being the humans and all the, all the World of Darkness stuff is out there somewhere but just setting it in 1990s New York or something like that didn't seem like the way forward because that's been done to death in the 1990s, if not other time, so I set it in uh, kind of 1950s Dresden, where it's still uh, East and West Germany, that kind of stuff. I just had the flavour of that behind it. I think does that still count as a historical game? Do you think, guys? I mean, I, I, I didn't know that much about it apart from what I read on Wikipedia and watching uh, Tinker Tailor or reading John Le Carre novels. But I tried to put that kind of like grey. Um, uh, lack of trust it's kind of like murky underworld feel to it but instead of being just Carla uh, or the Russians behind it all there was uh, vampire society or some other nefarious scheme and I think that, that made it more interesting for me the fact that there were vampires behind it rather than it just being a bunch of blokes in Russia is that something that appealed to you more Baz do you think? Well yeah the, the more alt history it is the more I'd be comfortable in it because and don't get me wrong we, I think you, know, you and I have definitely talked about this before guys but I, I have similar um, blocks to my enjoyment if we were even playing in like Legend of the Five Rings which is you know a game with a huge history to it even though it's all made up and it's all fictional it's a, it's a big history and when I jump into that I feel like a noob um, and if it's the real world of course it's got history and I feel like I'm under some obligation to at least know a little bit about it So, that, but but I don't and I don't really want to do much in a way of study for what's supposed to be just an enjoyable social pastime, even though I take that quite seriously. I don't really want to do homework. Um, and so the more alt history it is, the more interesting it is. But but again, the issue that I, that I sometimes have with alt history is because I just don't know enough about the subject. I don't know what in it is alt and what isn't. Now, clearly, <laughs> werewolves in Nazi outfits, even, even me, poor miseducated <laughs> I can understand that the uh, the uh, the SS probably didn't howl at the moon and that they weren't vulnerable to silver weaponry but that's about the length of it you know if you were going to talk about like some made up division of SS who went missing in some forest somewhere um I w I wouldn't know if I, if I was if I was listening to something that was for real um or something that was made up whole cloth maybe it doesn't make any difference but but I, I always feel massively uneducated when everybody's giving each other knowing looks and enjoying the fact that the GM could use some historical shorthand because clearly most of the people around the table understand what he or she is talking about. So, you know, they uh, I don't really want the game to stop while people give me the notes on it <laughs> just to help me along. So, yeah, I find it just as difficult in completely 
in complete fantasy campaigns um, that have got long settings and histories that are, that are kind of important to today's acts, um, you know, whether it be Exalted or, or Legend of the Five Rings or stuff like that. So the the, the older the better, um, and 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 I guess that takes me back to the the, the question that those ones I can totally get into. It's I suppose the pure historical ones. Is it is it possible to to enjoy or play or participate in something that is purely historical with no fantastical elements at all or does it have to have those fantastical elements in order to to be a viable action adventure entertainment for want of a better term well i think um i think you can if you approach history as like you say as everyone or something else it's how other people approach it as well how, how do you feel about it dr mitch because to give a, a different example, one thing I feel strange about is if you read the One Ring from uh, Cubicle Seven, the the author there, uh, Francesco, he seems to be totally enamoured with the setting, which is fair enough that you can see why he's made this work. But he gets all giddy in the text about the party might catch a look at um, Radagast riding through the woods, or they might get a chance to you know see Gandalf give a speech at a meeting. And the, the text just seems you can almost hear him clapping off the pages because your characters get to see this historical character or fantastical character whereas for me personally I don't give a monkeys and in fact if my party in the one ring wanted to wander off and do something different which would break the fiction I'd be quite happy with that I know the people who want to kind of cleave to canon and get excited about seeing characters from books or things like that but I'm much more of the approach of it should be about the characters you're playing so how do you feel on that front, Mitch? If, if Baz was to be in one of your games and um, was doing something that might break what was in history or what you had in mind, would you feel all right with that? And how do you think players would react to it? I think... OK, so there's lots of questions here. So I, th- I think I'd feel perfectly happy with that. Once you've got player characters, especially once you've got a certain power level, you are potentially derailing history. It, it's going to happen. It might be on a small scale, just one particular historical battle didn't pan out as it did in history. At the same time, if you want your battle to pan out in a particular way, you shouldn't throw a bunch of PCs into it. <laughs> yeah, they're going to do strange things. I mean, it's interesting, actually, that you brought up the One Ring as an example here, because when, I was, when I've done preparations for that, I've done it very similarly to how I would be doing a historical game. You know, you've got this big body of source material. It's just in case, instead of the history books, it's Tolkien. Mm. And the characters thing, yeah, I'm, I definitely get where you're coming from. I mean, it's the same as any game based on, say, an existing body of fiction. I don't get excited about playing or meeting the real fictional characters. I do get sometimes a bit more excited about introducing real historical personages. But again you should be happy with that going off the rails you know player characters are going to derail things i mean going back going back to the pure historical thing you know it, it depends what you mean by pure history i mean we just had this out earlier so if it's something that's you know based on historical fiction in the period you don't necessarily need that fantastical element at the same time it's something that's sometimes nice to have hmm. yeah i mean i I was just thinking while you were talking there about meeting real historical figures in your game and one of my favourite examples of it which shows you probably how far along the spectrum I am from made up stuff to real stuff is of course the Indiana Jones film where Indy gets Hitler's autograph and that's a really cool scene yeah. a really cool scene in the middle of a, a very 
you know proper pulp movie mm. and, and they introduced a historical figure into that for a little bit of light relief and and clearly it's the sort of thing that could happen in any role-playing game isn't it and and i actually would quite get i think i would get a little bit of a buzz out of meeting a historical figure but of course as soon as you introduce as dr mitch says as soon as you introduce a real historical figure to a pc you're going to want to monkey around with the time stream at some point aren't you which is very metagamey if your character is supposed to be from that history and they're not a time cop um because you know bill and ted's excellent adventure is another way of of meeting people um, and monkeying around with them um so i i think i would like to do that but that that's kind of a little bit that would feel like um i'd be i don't know not getting the most out of a role-playing game i'd be better off maybe going on a jack the ripper ghost walk through london if all i wanted to do was hear the stories and and smell the smells and see the sights um you've got to be able to interact with something otherwise for me it's not a game and if you are going to interact with it then i think as mitch rightly says as soon as you declare an action history's been altered hasn't it maybe not in a big way um and maybe you don't play to find out what happens to history maybe you're keeping it on a smaller scale and you're just a roman legionnaire or or i can't even think of any history now or (laughs) (laughs) a a french glass blower in 1880 i'm sure there's gaming involved in there somewhere (laughs) there'll be an indie game after that in the next six months just watch well uh, (laughs) another thought then uh which is something i've always liked the idea of something like time splitters 2 or maybe even stargate to a degree or even Star Trek and stuff like that. I quite fancy the idea of a game where you are time cops and each uh, week or episode or session or whatever you go to a different setting and turn up there with your skills. Because something like Savage Worlds or Fate, for example, you just have fighting and shooting and things like that. So that translates to you, whether you're using a bow or a laser rifle or a machine gun or whatever, your your character could stay the same stat-wise, but you could leap across all kinds of different areas. Um, if you're just getting that sort of one window snippet for a session for a few hours is that something that would hold more interest because you get lots of different bits of of pieces or does it lose something because you can't get any consistency and an angle on what's happening from week to week I've never tried it but it's always something I fancy having a go at Hmm. Yeah. um, funnily enough one of my very favourite genres um, in gaming or, or in anything else for that matter but not one I've managed to get a successful campaign going on I've got to be honest is time travel I love the idea of time travel and clearly time travel is going to lose half of its potential if you only ever go forwards so it's got to, it's got to address historical fiction at some point hasn't it um, and I love that stuff and, and our by now regular shout out to Pelgrain Press in our podcast means that I feel obliged to mention Time Watch uh, which is a game that's still in development, or I think it's in the final stages of development right now, um, where you play, you know, time cops essentially, and uh, running backwards and forwards uh, through the the, the space time continuum all around Earth, and you could be in ancient Egypt for half a session or even half an hour, and then you could find yourself in the in the trenches of World War One, um, and using stitches to affect time and and try and bring about the correct resolution, and there's antagonists and so on. Not particularly a new idea, but it's it's one that's always appealed to me, and I really like the fiction, I like the movies, I like the comics that address that kind of genre, um, and, and the gaming has escaped me mostly, and I suspect it's because as a GM, my knowledge of history is so bad that all I can do is go forwards, and that seems like a half a game. What do you think about that match with the? I'm, I'm quite I'm okay. I'm quite excited about Time Watch. I mean, I backed it as Kickstarter. It's one of those things I can't get very excited until I've got the physical book. 
but it's one I'm really looking forward to, and I'd certainly take that out for a spin. I mean, in terms of historical knowledge being necessary, I think it's fine if you keep it big and pulpy. So it doesn't have to be anything obscure. You know, the, the old cliche, what if the Nazis won the Second World War? Yeah, it's a horrible cliche now, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's a big thing that everyone can recognise, and everyone can recognise as a horrific outcome. And there's other splitting points like that that you can keep as big. You know, you could, again, thinking about it as British guys, what if the Battle of Hastings turned out differently? Okay, maybe that's more interesting to me. But Sounds cool, but I think I think I got a flavour of Bazzi's uh, perspective there for a minute. Because when you said that, I thought, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. But I have no idea what, what the outcome would be there. Like the, the Nazis winning World War Two, I could immediately think of lots of things, and there's the fatherland and all the rest of it. But yeah, so what you said sounding interesting, but I think as a player, I'd be like, oh, that sounds cool, but I have no idea how that would look. I've not got the the background knowledge to know what the what the impact would be. If you know what I mean. All right. The second the second example is weaker than the first. Okay, the Roman Empire never fell. You know. All oh yeah, yeah. I've not. <laughs> the, se- the second example was perfectly viable, Doctor Mitch, except when you talk to me, and I'm still busily tapping on the keyboard trying to find out who won the original Battle of Hastings. <laughs> so if you tell me it's different, I wouldn't know. Excellent stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I, d- I do like that idea of. of I, I mean, I like the idea of alt history because you're right. I'm overthinking this, and 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 maybe I'm overthinking it just for the benefits of a debate today because. It's no more difficult than roll up a barbarian, a cleric and a magic user and go into this fantasy kingdom of which you have no idea what it's about until I tell you. And you know how to do that and how to get involved and you know how to like, you know, fly a spaceship for goodness sake. And if and if I as the GM tell you there's been a 10,000 year empire of humanity amongst the stars, nobody blinks an eye. You know, it, it only matters as much as you want to make it matter, doesn't it? But you know, I think as long as everybody's generous around the table and gamers usually are, then you know if you get something wrong in inverted commas, you're only going to be corrected or people are going to let it slide and it shouldn't derail the fact you're going to have four hours of fun ahead of you. I, I, I just think, you know, there's um, I, I would be slow to pick out of a mass of sign-up sheets anything that was strictly historical without the addition of something supernatural or super or fantastical. And if it were just vanilla history, and that's doing a terrible service to, to our own planet's history, but if it were just vanilla, I might skip aside that, maybe out of comfort to something with lasers. I don't know, that's that's the issue I have, is there's, there always tends to be something else I could play, which I would prefer. I mean, I think when it comes down to me, I like history as livening up an existing situation. You know, so mm. an, invasion, an alien invasion scenario, that's that's all right that's pretty interesting why not set it in the 1950s instead of the present day someone should write a game about that or again you know urban fantasy can be interesting so why not i don't know set urban fantasy in ancient rome or ancient alexandria or something like that and bring it out in the same sort of way you bring out the fantasy setting you know for me the fantastic premise is the thing that's the game and the history's there to make that more interesting for me I, I suppose as a GM of these things then Mitch I mean clearly you've got loads of control over what you pitch to people because it's an, it's an area that you've either researched or you knew anyway or you feel confident enough to muck around in that historical playground but you know if you're if you're mucking around in Alexandria for example and and some curious PC says to you like you know um, 
oh where do you get wine around here which is the kind of question I could field in a fantasy city very very easily and I wouldn't even look anything up I would just make something up and it couldn't possibly be incorrect or or harsh anyone's buzz because I could I could say anything that that just pops into my head including like a, a world in fact there hasn't been wine in this city for 50 years ever since the um the acts of Ayaz the mighty and he set fire to the wine lakes in the mountains around there and and if I were to go cool but if you're asked that question about Alexandria and I'm assuming that you either know or don't know the answer to that question wouldn't it wouldn't it niggle at you a little bit that you'd want to be right about it because clearly the player is asking for a reason do you know what I mean do you ever get caught on the hop by that not not, not I mean it has happened not strongly mm. but I mean again the same answer would be same as I'd give in a pure fantasy setting you know you just make something up maybe mm. in between settings sessions I'd I'd look it up just to see mm. what the answer was like but it wouldn't bother me too much at the time right I mean, one of the reasons I asked that is because uh, myself and Gaz have recently been playing he's been generous enough to run some Gloranthan games for me which is another huge gaping hole in my gaming knowledge and Gloranthan's fairly close to having as much history in it as the real world does as far as I can tell you could be a real scholar of that and, and my, my player character is wandering around Prax and and clearly I'm asking questions of, of Gaz, my GM, like, what can I see? What can I hear? What colour is that? What are people wearing? And Gaz is good enough to give me the answers, but I have no idea if he's making it up or not. I, I think he probably isn't because he knows his stuff. But if he was, it doesn't matter either because it will never make me narrow my eyes or go, well, that doesn't sound right. And I, and I won't find out midweek that, that it was all off and that my perceptions were wrong. So it doesn't... There's, there's no barrier to my immersion for for want of a much better term <laughs> but there's no barrier at all but you know historically I as a player I'm always trying to get my sensory input from the GM who is the window into my world and I can absolutely see how if you know your history reasonably well and we were say playing in Stalingrad and we'd all we'd all read about Stalingrad and watched films on Stalingrad it would be a brilliant shortcut because the GM could just say you're in Stalingrad and everybody gets it but if I'm the stranger to the party and I don't quite get it, isn't that a lot of pressure to be putting on the GM to come back with like you know really good, accurate, evocative answers? I think it, it depends on how concerned you know the player is about accuracy and the other people at the table are about accuracy. I mean, mm. it's not all on the GM here. You know, if, mm. you could even say if it's an important thing, this where would I get wine in the setting? You could field it to the table where where would be a good place to get wine here yeah yeah and i suppose with you know the connected world that we all live in we are just a google search away from knowing the actual answer if it really mattered that much aren't we yeah listen i i think this is on me i don't think this is a major issue for anyone and i think this is teaching me a lot about what i expect from my games because one of my favorite things to do in any game is to be an explorer um, and I mean that in a meta game kind of way. I love to explore worlds, and and I tend to use my GMs as tour guides as much as anything else. And, and that's the bit that I like is is experiencing new worlds. And if that new world is historical, then you know I'd kind of like to think I'm not being conned. And uh, and again, this is just teaching me more about my style than anything else, perhaps. I think, and maybe you know, some actual historical gaming would would do quite a few things for me and be an education as much as an entertainment. I think it, it might be just my well it will be my, just my experience but I think there is a, a sort of um, trap there or danger in terms of um, I think Glorantha's a good one I, I, 
I'd hesitate to run Glorantha games at a convention because there are some people who take it so seriously. I would feel that I get picked up on any little bit or piece that happened that I got wrong, or um, if I, you know, the, the familiar animal I said was a dog and it was a cat or something like that, I'm pretty sure it gets picked up. Or if not, you get a roll of the eyes or that sort of thing. So I think I can see that baggage that you're talking about there applying to some historical games. So that there are some players who sign up specifically for, for example, a Napoleonic game because they know a lot about that era and may get dressed up at weekends and do reenactments or whatever else so I think there is a tendency for people who are really passionate about certain genres to get all the detail right um, and I find it curious about things like Glorantha certainly when Hero Quest sort of came out and this uh, the, the source books for that were around the, the kind of joke I use about it is it's all about basket weaving all of a sudden and there was tons about naming ceremonies and how you get married and what flavour of tartan you wear and all this kind of stuff and uh, to me that was anathema it's like, I don't understand how any of this will impact my gaming at all, it seems rubbish it's like um, learning stuff for a test almost, how's this fun some people do find it fun, I'm not knocking them for it it's just for my personal preferences I can't see how they get stuff out of there and I think there might be an element of that in historic stuff as well, but I don't think it's as strong as for some of the fantasy settings to be honest Glorantha being the, the prime example I can think of so it's, it's a bit of a funny one. I think you just have to get the right people around the table, don't you, as well? If you're going to do historical gaming, you all have to be on the same sort of level or agree beforehand. I think we've said this sort of stuff many times before. Is If, you, if you're going to sit down with some people to game, try and all get on the same page as to how the game's going to go. But at conventions, that's a tough one, which is why I'd probably steer away from it from, from that point of view for a little bit. So, Mitch, have you got any examples of uh, good historical games that you know of or that you've read or that you've experienced? Or written. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go down that route. <laughs> well, I can, but... In terms of, I mean, in terms <laughs> of excellent historical games, I mean, some say, for example, that one that's more mythical than historical, I'll say, is, first of all, Pendragon. You know, both the... You know, it's not very historical. It almost becomes Norman rather than Dark Ages. But in terms of getting the whole myth cycle of Arthur, and in terms of the mechanics and the passions and so on, you know, it really does nail it not a Mallory style Arthur game that is the one others I like I really like Duty and Honour and Beat to Quarters you know we talk about the Napoleonics here because you've got very very I suppose you've got a light dusting of the flavour and clever mechanics bringing everything out then so I should look at others but I'm in the wrong room I'm not in my RPG bookshelf area well I, 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 let me let me see if I can give you a prompt mate because one of, one of the genres that, that you see a lot of work done within and I say genre, and I should say historical period, shouldn't I? Because the, the two of them get conflated quite a lot. And I'm thinking about Victorian age, okay. which is... I don't know if it's as trendy as it was, but there was definitely a massive amount of steampunk stuff over the last five years or so. I'm not sure if it's still around in such a big degree, but, you know, I, I've played loads of games set in that era, but it, it, but usually through the lens of some genre tropes as well, of, of pulping it up a bit and putting goggles on a few things and a bit more steamy than perhaps it actually was. Um, but I, but I know that there's there's still an awful lot of of that kind of reenactment style game set in that era. Is that still a thing? I mean, I don't know. I, I was trying to think of a flagship game for that period at the moment. I'm sort of struggling to come up with anything. Well, I can think. I can think of two that I really like. So going mm. back a bit, there's castle falconstein which yeah. is i'd yeah, say not so much game. necessarily steampunk but victorian fantasy and mm -hmm. i did run Love that it. for quite a while and that's an amazing game 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, love love yeah. it, and 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 anything to do with that kind of period, and and but 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 I like it because it's legitimate to have dinosaurs. Oh, it's, it's very explicitly, <laughs> very explicitly. I mean, I think I think Belgium doesn't exist, for example. Isn't that one of the big features? <laughs> Which improves every game and, in fact, history if you could pull it off. <laughs> and then there's. And then there's the Kerberos Club, which is, you know, Victorian-era superheroes. I suppose mm. while I'm thinking of actually the Art Dream guys, godlike, brilliant sort of fantastic history of the Second World War. And again, the premise there is top-notch for me. There's also the new World War Cthulhu, which is the thing that, yeah, okay, I've mentioned the C word here. That's the one thing that really brought me back into it, just the way it does it. So you've got the special operations executive. And if that's not a pulpy premise for a group of player characters, I don't know what is. And you've got the combination of missions there and the mythos missions, and those are two different things. But that is absolutely excellent, and I do recommend it. Uh, Coming forward again, I do like a lot of more recent stuff, things in the 60s and 70s. There's not much of that in gaming that I'm aware of, but there's bits and pieces. So again, because I'm going on the Hey Arc Dream, I should mention Progenitor, which is sort of more a modern superheroes game, goes into explicitly divergent history in the 60s, and again sets out this all alternate history path. And for me, I'd definitely set a game of that in somewhere in the 70s. And that's still history. Yeah, I got I got Progenitor recently actually, and I, I, well, I didn't. I got it ages ago, and then I forgot I had it and went to buy it and realised I already had it. <laughs> so that was my alternate history of owning Progenitor. Um, it's yeah, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it, I did have to zone out after a while because I mean, Mitch, you'll know this, but it's got it's basically got a page for each year or a couple of pages for each year, doesn't it? From what nineteen sixty eight onwards, I think, up to the present day, and. One of the pages is actual stuff that happened. So I suppose if you want a history book of modern history, it's there in bullet point format, and it's all the the kind of the gameable stuff, really, rather than the the formation of corporations or laws that were passed or anything like that. It's about assassinations and when things were invented that you can blow up. And then on the facing page will be the new history that has happened as a result of the... Um, and I can't remember the term for it. There's a term, isn't there, when you insert something into history and it changes everything thereafter. That point, and and it's fascinating, but it does look like research. And I'm I'm happy to do some research for gaming's sake, but but that one was, and it was particularly American. I thought I don't know if I've got that wrong. No, it's when, a very American game. It, that's true. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's true of loads of games, though, isn't it? If it were set in Britain, I, I might have a better idea of how to really approach it and cope with it. And I, I, that's true of cyberpunk stuff and world of darkness stuff and everything stuff it's very american centric uh, and clearly i was a kid in the 70s and i think i would have loved a game um that, that helped me out with the british history at that point so progenitors definitely has got loads of really interesting things in there but it's another one of those intimidating books for me it's been touched by ken height at some point in its history which means it's it's all of a sudden a work of genius that, that I don't know how to get the most out of really without having him come over and GM it for me. But um, but yeah, and the addition of superheroes makes it makes it all the better as far as I can tell. But well worth a look, isn't it, Mitch? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great read, if nothing I'd else. I strongly recommend it. I mean, if there were comics set in that setting, I would read them. Yeah, absolutely. And I suspect that it's it would work better in that format. Uh, and I'd read the novels of it too. And I think, you know, there's some stuff there that Hollywood would take an interest in too 
um, they'd, they'd condense it into 90 minutes but as a playable gameable setting oh, it's a head scratcher maybe maybe it's too rich for my blood well I think it's a lot to dice off at once but you can take little bits and pieces you know you, you don't need to eat the whole thing at once I think that's something that, that I struggle with games in general for uh, for example there's Legend of the Burning Sands which is the kind of Arabian Nights version of uh, Legend of the Fire Rings uh, and that's got like tons of history for, uh, and it's mostly made up history about that particular area but with a a nod to our kind of legends and myths and stuff like that but it's so mindlessly dull you kind of read a couple of hundred pages telling about all this cool stuff that's happened and you're not part of and then the game starts after all that's finished with which seems ridiculous to me how do you how do you sort of like because you've written some uh, stuff for historical basis how do you manage to put enough in to give people the flavour without being a proper history lesson then what's what's the art and certainly for a GM to deliver that information if you were going to run a game of uh, a mythical Greece game for example and, and people just hadn't read or know about you know they hadn't even seen Jason of the Argonauts or anything how do you deliver that information to them you know what what level would you pitch it at well, if I'm thinking mythical Greece. I mean, that would be my first reference. Have you seen Jason and the Argonauts? But we're assuming the answer is no. I mean, you're looking at a, a very brief bullet point sort of description of the setting. You don't want hundreds of years of history of what happened before the time the game is set. That is wasted space in a game. Again, for Age of Arthur, I've got a sort of two-page bullet point handout. I think I did the same for. I'm doing the same for Starfall. You, know, you you want to be able to condense that into one or two pages of bullet points, which I'm not even, you know, it's not something you'd even expect the players to read, but you can condense that at the table. And actually the same goes for flavour. I mean, a lot of what you see in these books, and that includes again, some of the it's very interesting to me, we've mentioned the One Ring and and Glorantha and Legend of the Five Rings are the same thing as historical settings. I mean that's that feels right to me. But again, you want the very brief bullet point list you bring out at the table and saying this is what the setting's about. But it's not so different in a historical game to being in a non-generic fantasy game or a science fiction game. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah, I think you could be right. I think it, it, it could just be a player hang-up because the, play, the player character in, in, a, in, a, in a historical game isn't aware that they're in a historical game. Um, they think they're in a modern game, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they think they're in a present day campaign and and they may not know a huge amount of the history of the place that they're running around in as player characters so if you if you've set it you know in um you could even be cavemen for goodness sake in the stone age and you'd have absolutely no idea at all about about any prehistory in that one you just you just react to the things that are in front of you don't you and and i suppose if you can get into your player's head then your player character's head, I should say. Then, then maybe, maybe none of this is an obstacle at all, and you can literally sit back and enjoy the scenery and treat it as the modern day game that your player character would see it as. Yeah, I mean, I think also, I mean, take another example, which would be something in medieval history. What would you need your player characters to know? They would know the village or town they came from, who their local court lord is, maybe who the king is. That's kind of it. Yeah, and that's that's no worse, and arguably a great deal better than any other game that's got a, a set of social conventions or laws to follow, or 
you know, I mean, I've, you know, previously, I, I won't lie, I, I've struggled in a game of Judge Dread of all things, because I've not entirely known what sentence to hand out for a particular crime, because that's in-setting knowledge that I, as a player, didn't have on a crib sheet in front of me. So, you know, but if I'd been a uh, a hunter in a medieval setting in a forest and I'd shot a deer even my patchy knowledge of dodgy Robin Hood movies would tell me that someone's going to take offence at that so you know which which makes that game easier for me to get into although I might not have signed up for it if I'd seen a Robin Hood style game next to Judge Dredd that's that's the weird thing isn't it you know yeah I, I, I don't know I think I, I have um I've fallen foul of it. I've seen play- other players fallen foul of it as well because you don't know what details are around and you kind of feel a bit stupid asking, don't you? So you you kind of... Like running Godlike, for example, I've had several times where someone's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll radio for help. And you have to explain that there's only one radio and the guy who had it was the, that guy who got blown up on that mine a couple of minutes. You know, you've only got one radio per squad. But it's just information that a lot of people don't know because you don't know that setting, but which seems really obvious to someone who's a a World War Two buff and there's lots of the details like that so I guess part of it is it how comfortable you are waving that kind of thing if someone says I radio for artillery or something like that are you happy assuming they've actually got several radios in the platoon where they would really only have one and that sort of thing I mean is, is that something that assuage people's worries or make it easy to get to historical games if you could wave things or does it get to the point then where you're breaking the suspension of disbelief for other people who think, well, that's we've not all got mobile phones, that's ridiculous. I mean, how how far can you go with it, I guess? Is it just a, a judgment call at the time? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a judgment call at the time. I mean, the radio example is a good one because somehow, for me, that's an important genre trope of the sort of squaddies on the front line in a Second World War type game. But yeah, there's other things. I mean, I don't care if... You know, people have got a particular model of machine gun a year before it's invented. It's it's a curious one. The radio is a good example, guys, because it reminds me that that there are a whole bunch of games that I enjoy to this day, which are modern day games, but I bought them in the eighties and nineties, which is pre-internet. So I guess now they are historical games to to a large degree. Because, I mean, Delta Green is probably a really good example of a game that's being rewritten because it's had to take into account very recent history. It's it's not a dead game by any stretch of the imagination. It's a fantastic game with a fantastic setting, which is, you know, a dark mirror to our own. But it's had to be updated because of political reality, because of technology, because of the way communication works and so on. And, you know, is is even going back 10 years is enough to change adventure structure plot design characterization the setting that you're in it's a really big leap and arguably more difficult to pull off than something 100 years ago i don't know is something set in the 90s a historical game i think it potentially is that's that i have run delta green recently and i, I have pitched it in that way i've said it's set in the 90s it's like the x-files and use that as my point mm. but i make it like the 90s i don't make it a modern one and then we all have to do a bit of thinking about what was different in the 90s because in my head that was uh, last decade but actually it's 20 years ago mm, yeah. <laughs> but because I'm old it feels like it should be like five years ago or something um, but yeah if you think about the state of mobile phone technology and stuff like that like people have mobile phones but you couldn't google crap you just had you know you could ring someone up and get them to look it up on a computer <laughs> but, but you didn't have mobile computing necessarily certainly in the early 90s 
we only just had computers at university at that stage. So I think it is kind of historical gaming, and there's a there's just like something vaguely uh, amusing and comforting about playing a slightly uh, low tech version of today kind of thing. And you know, all the female agents have to have um, have to power dress with shoulder pads and things like that. And there's you know, there just be like little bits of detail, much like people I think like TV shows that are set in 1970s or 80s, or you know, this is England 90s just come out and that kind of stuff. It's within living memory, and it's a little bit quaint or. I think it takes some of the sting out of it. You don't have to worry quite so much about getting everything absolutely right. You can just pick out the sort of high-level details or the things you remember. From, you know, you'll be going to uh, hunt someone down in a British Delta Green game and you'll see some kid on a space hopper bouncing down the street or something like that. And I think it just adds uh, a bit of comfort and familiarity to players if they can look back and don't worry about what's happening right now. But then you've also got the trap of trying to remember that 9-11 hasn't happened and all these other kind of things and, and the enemy was still argued by the Soviets rather than being China or Korea or uh, the, the Afghanistan kind of stuff. Yeah, there's still those, that you, I think you just called them traps. I'm sorry if I misspeak for you there, guys, but, I, but that's how I would see it as well. You know, you could trip up on stuff like the World Trade Center very easily, couldn't you? And, you know, which brings us back to, I suppose the stuff we were talking about at the beginning of like how accurate do you need to be before things shatter at the table and uh, and everybody's you know off on a tangent about something that got said in error um, and, and I don't know if that's a real thing or not but I, I've seen it happen a, f- a few times it happens in my head quite a lot yeah so um so I suppose you know that that that's the whole sweep of, of history we've touched on at various points there, and, I, and I'm conscious I didn't answer a question that you asked ages ago, Gaz, and, I, and I'm going to I'm going to delegate the answer to Dr. Mitch if you don't <laughs> mind, which is, which is you know wh- where are the bits in in human or pre-human history that that aren't getting addressed in gaming and should be, or or where where are the good bits and, and which which decades and centuries should i avoid because they're terminally dull so where's the good at well so things that haven't really been addressed i would really love to see a game probably a historical fantasy game rather than a straight-up history in the byzantine empire so that's the eastern part of the roman empire that survived after the west fell went through a huge you know resurgence of power where it was trying to reclaim the heritage of the roman empire and then later on you've got this whole crumbling empire vibe you know this huge rich city that's losing all of its territories bit by bit around it now that's of course that would be an amazing thing for fantasy setting as well why not have it straight do it as a Mm. and that's one thing i've not really seen in game not saying not at all but seldom Hmm. What period of history is that? Can you give me a year to get my head straight? Well, this is the thing. I mean, it depends on when you're doing it. So I'd like to do it around sort of 600 AD, which is sort of the peak of power Hmm. this time. But you could do it much later on, up until the Fourth Crusade around 1200. So the Fourth Crusade was, okay, Crusade, let's retake the Holy Land. And the various lords and knights of the Crusaders decided yeah the holy man the holy land's far away bit difficult hey look they follow this eastern orthodox religion in constantinople let's sack that mm. instead mm. so that's sort of really the end of it so you've got 600 years or so 700 years of history that you could draw from there depending whether you're doing it at the peak of its power trying to or trying to cling on to power or yeah the inevitable demise 
because again my, my terrible historical knowledge but my fantastic gaming knowledge is you could and i think you alluded to it as well you could have been talking about six or seven fantasy source books i've got absolutely there. um you know whether whether it's something that's existing right now or it's something in that history and I, and i think you know that's no surprise is it because games writers are part of that venn diagram um of historical buffs and and the real world is is a great resource to go and get your ideas from and reskinning stuff and passing it off as fantasy has got a, a very very long tradition and a noble one too so um yeah that's good stuff i mean because i've seen i've seen games companies try and pick and choose from history and i, I don't remember that one being addressed particularly so that, that's definitely a gap because because i'm thinking uh, one of the last things to add to it, i suppose just to bring up some actual games I'm thinking of the World of Darkness games. Do you remember when they did a historical version of each of the big five yeah. of Vampire, Mage, Wraith, and, and the rest? And, and, and they were standalone games, and I don't know how much traction they got, but for, for loads of different reasons, I picked up a lot of those things thinking that will give me a more of an in to the world than the kind of modern-day Chicago stuff, which didn't really float my boat. Um, and I remember thinking Mage, uh, sorry, Wraith the Great War had loads of really cool things in it because ghosts in biplanes rules. <laughs> and I remember Mage the Sorcerer's Crusade was a duller read than I wanted it to be because I was after the Three Musketeers and it seemed to be about the three mathematicians instead. Forgive me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Vampire Dark Ages, I think that had quite a fan base, didn't it? And I don't even know when the Dark Ages are. There was, yeah, there was loads of source books. I thought it was really good. I think there was, there was mm. that. That I think that that was a more believable set. Of, you know, the modern day thing. I find it hard to kind of believe as much or or buy into the fact there's vampires when people have got UV lamps and submachine guns full of all kinds of things, and you know, the weaponry and technology available to stop vampires seems at a peak now, or the the, the knowledge and lore around it. Whereas if you're a vampire in the Dark Ages and you've got to get to another tower and you're relying on paying some peasant to take your coffin via a cart and it's a day's ride and hoping nothing happens to the peasant because you can't get out your coffin. And there's all kinds of situations and things that you could put into Dark Ages where it's more likely the vampires could get away with being vampires. And the tricky situations you could put them into based on just modes of transport and communication and all the rest of it, I think fitted a lot better. I thought that was very good. Mm. I read quite a lot of that stuff. And the other one I liked as well, because it seemed to fit the genre more, was the Werewolf Wild West. And the book had a... Oh, I was trying to remember what it, what it was. You're right, it had bullet, bullet holes in it the too, book. Yeah, it? right through the, all the pages. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was really cool. Because that really brought about the whole kind of uh, Native Americans and their view of ancestor worship and the, the coyote spirit and all these animal avatars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the baddies, who were the Banes and the the sort of Pentex of the future, uh, or the latter day Pentex. Um, that was like the the Iron Horse was laying down these tra- uh, tracks, the, the trains across America, and that was like nailing down the old nature spirits and bolting them with iron to the ground. And and that whole thing, and that you know these European invaders coming over with their different types of werewolf, like the Shadow Lords and the uh, the Blue Fangs, was it? I can't remember. All these imperious noblemen from across the water. That all really seemed to fit really well. As opposed to a modern day game where you're kind of like hanging out in recreational parks and stuff like that and fighting against oil companies, I think there's a lot of flavour in those kind of crossover and historical bits. And um, yeah, it's a shame they didn't quite do as well as 
I hoped, but I don't know whether people just liked the originals better or had already bought 10,000 bucks and didn't want to buy another whole new raft of lines. But yeah, they, they definitely had more flavour to them for being historical. I think that takes us back to what Dr. Mitch was saying earlier about using the history to give more detail to the cool stuff you're doing anyway, rather than it being trying to inject cool stuff into history, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's a superb example of that. Mm. Yeah, I, I suspect the reason that perhaps they, they they kind of drifted away a little bit was the lack of crossover material between those four historical periods because the, the classic modern-day world of darkness, half the fun in that was, was pity mages versus werewolves in Boston. And um, that, that's difficult if you've got distinct historical periods and there's the, the link-ups are, are fewer. But what do I know, anyway? It's, it, all history could be on the same day, as far as I know. It could all be last Tuesday. I wouldn't have a clue. Which I think, that that, that says we're just... I think we're about time, aren't we? So uh, my, yes. my, my last sort of parting shot on this one, for me, anyway, is going to be uh, the mention that Torg is coming back. Uh, and I, I can't remember too much about Torg, apart from there was a cyberpapacy, and I'm pretty sure there's kind of like Egyptians crossed with something else and Romans riding around in cars or something. But I, I've just got vague recollections of all this art, and that seemed to be getting loads of cool stuff from history, and uh, then stick them in a blender, and then seeing what came out the other end. And that was all cool. Uh, I might look back at it differently if I buy into the new version, but I did like the idea of just getting all cool stuff from history and sticking it together, and then making up an excuse for it, because that's how most of the best role-playing games we've made. I think they just take loads of good shit that they think, this is amazing, I like all this, we're going to have it in one place, here's a reason for it, right, get on with it. The vampire Roman cyber purposes after you or something. Really interesting stuff, I think, at the time, but I might be looking with broad tinted glasses. No, you're not. Talk is ace and merits a podcast of its own, I think, with that kind of like, you know, mashup mentality because there's not much, I would say, this historical about it, but it does pull together a bunch of tropes and genres. Um, yeah, definitely. But the genres, as you would remember them from films rather than from textbooks. Sure. So, yeah. Okay, right. Listen, thanks, guys. Really appreciate that conversation, um, and thanks for for helping me with my understanding. Um, and I think you know, if, if again, the question is, what would the smart party do? The smart party would would go to the library, I suspect, and and treat it like a giant source book, which many many clever people have been doing for years, and are probably going duh, Baz, right now. Um, so I'm going to do that. Uh, my my mid-year resolution is going to be to pick up some cool bits from history and sprinkle them into my games to make them even more awesome. Um, and listen, I'd really like to thank you, Dr. Mitch, for coming on to our, our little local podcast. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your words today. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, Gaz, I think, you know, if I leave the final words to yourself, my good friend, and we'll call it quits for this week. Yep. Uh I think it's been a good discussion like you say as always we'd like to hear more from you people out there are there any games we've missed something we've not talked about any cool bits or advice or tips you can find us on the UK Role Players Forum we've got our own little blog or via email and various other methods so do get in touch and let us know what you think about historical gaming or something we should look into ourselves and we'll spread the word thanks very much everyone for your time and we'll speak to you next time on What Will The Smart Party Do Bye 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 Thank you.